0: Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My name is Ryan Narayan and my guest this week is Michael LaVenture, Senior Technical Program Manager, Detection and Response at Netflix. That's a mouthful. Hi, Michael. What does that mean? (laughs) Hey, Ryan.
1: Uh, Yeah. So uh, for me, I mean, my day-to-day is all about working with the different teams in information security to just do security better, uh, find better ways to know what our threats are, um, how to look for them and then how to respond to them. So, you know, my job is just to know people. And, <laughs> and you guys
0: are, and you're, you're, you're doing threat hunting within Netflix infrastructure, looking for threats that, that may already be inside. Yeah,
1: that's, that's right. That's right. So, uh, our whole ecosystem is like, uh, int- Intel and information on like the threats that would want to, you know, be relevant to Netflix and then. Um, looking for those within our infrastructure, um, and then responding to them. So it's kind of like those three three points of the triangle for us.
0: Right. I want to get into it a little bit about what threat intel means and the value of it to organizations, especially to like big organizations like yours that have resources, versus where the threat intel is even available for like rest of organizations with less resources. But before we get there, you're an interesting uh, a, a trend, you're part of an interesting trend that I'm observing for a lot of folks who get out of school and get into government contracting or get into the Washington DC world of government contracting. And that's kind of your entryway into cybersecurity before moving out to Silicon Valley. Yeah. Uh, can you talk me through, Like, you're a New York kid, a Haitian kid from New York. How did you end up, uh, up, like, how did you end up at Netflix? Talk me through that path.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it, and it is an interesting journey. So I actually, uh, I went to school uh, in Virginia and I actually studied like international studies. So I was studying international studies, doing some Japanese in there and I was Nothing
0: like... Nothing tech related. Nothing tech related.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, towards the end of my my college, my time at my uh, University of Richmond, um, I started to get a little bit more interested in, into the tech space. And so actually for me, I were a lot of just mentorship. I, I networked, I met some people who were in the space um, and I just started you know, studying for, for certifications because I decided I wanted to get into cyber.
0: So you're still in school doing your whatever humanities thing you're doing and later on in school, like tech.
1: Yeah, that's right, yeah. So my senior year is when I started really trying to like go the tech route um, and that's when I started to try to make these connections and meet people. And so like second half of my senior year when like most of like the senioritis is kicking in and you're kind of like kicking back is when I started studying and then started looking into some of these certifications. And then um, by the time I graduated, I had a, a plan and a track. And that's when I like hit the ground running and, you know, um, just started studying and trying to get into this. It, it's funny, like my parents would joke with me, my, my nine to five was like I would go to Starbucks. I was like a full time. They would joke you with me still. and say, yeah, like I'm paying like how much rent do you pay over there? Because I was just there and like studying to um, get these certifications. That would be kind of like my put in the door uh, to, to this world. But how
0: did you know what kind of certifications would matter? Like, did you have an advisor or was it just kind of getting into some of these computer clubs and some of these computer networks that, that, that you had someone say, Hey, focus on this, this is where there might be jobs or this is where they might be opening help another kid like you in that time figure out, like, how do I, how do I pinpoint what kind of certification to even look at?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I was lucky in that, um, I reached out to some people. Um I found um even my my girlfriend at the time, her brother was an IT, you know, and he was like a software engineer, so talked to him a little bit about it, but wanted to be more in the in the cyberspace. Um and then so he connected me with some people that he knew. Um, you know, I was lucky to have like people in my life that were were familiar with the space. Um, you know, even even my my dad was working in, in New York, the city of New York. Um, and so he was connected in that space as well. Um, but I really wanted to be in the DC area, and and that's where I knew that I wanted to be and get my foot in the door there. And so um, I was lucky to kind of just you know field for people who were in the space, kind of ask them about you know what's relevant, what do people look for, uh, and that's kind of how I, I carved out.
0: And that wasn't that. even a it wasn't a security specific thing. You were just trying to trying to get your feet wet in tech and trying to get a foot in the door somewhere and find a career here.
1: Yeah, but, but I do think I, I knew that I wanted to do security because to me, that was the most interesting thing. I've always How did thought, that
0: bug? How did that security bug bite? Oh, was there man. an instance? Was there an incident? Was there a... a, a... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I
1: think so. It's, it's really interesting. Like I heard some things about like some of the back and forth around the more of the political climate and how there's like this cyber warfare thing. But I don't think I really put that together. Um, but I would also, you know, you'd see these movies and you'd see like the hacker and all that stuff. And of course it's always cool growing up. And so I think one point I realized like, no, people can actually make this into a career. It's like, you see these things happen and I'm like, uh, it just seems so far out of reach, but then there's actually a path. And once cybersecurity started to get hot and you talk to people and you find out that people are like doing penetration testing or like red teaming or thinking like an attacker and and using that to. You know strengthen their own defenses i was like oh this is this is cool like this is right. something different so that's kind of like the bug in my ear i'm, I'm just like a sucker for the cool like media of, of what the cyberspace was like that's kind of how i got it
0: and your first gig was security analyst at general dynamics right that was a dot gov contractor in washington dc one of these big kind of yeah
1: yeah i mean it was it was very like just different so i mean for me coming out of coming out of school um and then i worked with general dynamics, but I was contracting for, for department of defense. And so, you know, I went through the whole clearance, cring, uh, clearance process and like working in like the, the Intel community space. It was like, it was a very different change of pace, culture, expectations, a uh, little bit of paranoia setting. And, you know, like you want to, you want to make sure you're, you can, you can do your job and do it right. And so, yeah, it was really different for me. Um, it was like, I jumped into it kind of headfirst,
0: and you spent two two years in that world, that government world, before moving into the private sector, right? right? Was that a big transition? What was the hardest part of transitioning from the General Dynamics role? I think you went to FireEye next.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I went to FireEye uh, after that. I mean, I think for me, it was it was lucky because even though I was coming from this like government contracting space. You know, going to like Mandy and FireEye, it was, it's a company built on those same values, right? Like the CEO of that company, Prior Air Force, there's a lot of that like military, like Same government.
0: culture, same vibe, right?
1: Same culture. So I had kind of like a smooth, like transition into the more you know, space of like what this private world of private companies are like.
0: And by this time, you know that you want to dabble in anti-malware and dabble in like uh, uh, threat hunting and forensics and this threat intelligence space.
1: Yeah, I think so. Like I got a taste when, when working in the government and I mean, I was super fortunate I had a lot of opportunity to learn and ask people and, and people, you know, Uh, were willing to take the time to kind of teach me things. And I realized that there was this, you know, there was more to it and I was hungry for that. And so getting to work at at Mandy and FireEye, um, you know, they were dealing with live like nation state actors, like, you know, like cyber, like financial crime actors, like the fan actors, like the things that these big hacks that you hear about. And so it was a great opportunity to really get to know, like what goes on in that like underworld that people... Just hear and get glimpses of in the day to day if you're not in that space.
0: So that was your first like foray into watching what advanced threat actors were doing, any sort of APT activity, and and the kind of uh, the kind of high level attacks against organizations. And you were uh, you were you had a mandian and FireEye porch to watch that as kind of like an incident responder. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's like a front row seat at the movies. It was like a totally different space because you know in a, any one organization may have like one big threat over the course of like a year or two. But when you work at a, at a vendor like that, that deals with that, that's like one of the best and, like, you know, they're doing a really great job of what they do. You get to see that at all of these different companies. And, and it's just, it's a totally different viewpoint.
0: Right. And that transition, it, it, you, you mentioned the vibe and the culture there was very much the same as government. I can't imagine, it's, it, I, I imagine moving out to the valley, coming out to Silicon Valley and landing on a Netflix security team is chalk and cheese. Like, What has <laughs> that transition been like? Not only, not only from government, not only from the government world, it's very, very tightly controlled and structured, but coming into a private sector security organization that's built on move fast, get code out the door, a different energy, I imagine.
1: Yeah, to- totally different, totally different. I mean, from a value perspective, I'm coming from a place where you know, our mindset is secure things first, and then that's a, that's our number one objective, and security is is, is priority. Uh, and then those other things come afterwards, right? Um, and then moving into this, where where the culture is like, we want to enable our workforce as much as possible, and we don't want security to be a hindrance. And I'm like, huh? This is this is like a different language. You're
0: used, used to coming out of a culture where security is the no guy, right? The guy who says no, and the guy who puts up the roadblocks. And that's just how Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. Because you're defending very, very sensitive things. And that's that's just how that culture works. There's no changing that. There might be some places to meddle with some stuff. But for the most part, that's a very rigid structured thing. And you yes. come over here now where security should not say no. That's against the principle of what security should be for organization like this. Yeah. Where your role now becomes, how do I empower and enable people to use these same tools that I'm used to telling them never, never use?
1: Yeah. Yeah. How it's, do you?
0: How do you? Uh, like, what was that like in your own head headspace? Trying to make that transition. I
1: mean it. It was it was very different. But I mean, for me, um, I saw it as just another opportunity for a unique challenge, right? Like throughout throughout my career, um, as I learned more, my, my goal has always been like, how how can we do, or how can you do security better based on the environment you're in? And I thought like this Silicon Valley like Netflix approach was like a 180 from what I was used to. But really, their goal was: how can we do security great, but then also have a great like end user experience and a great relationship with the end user too, right? It's about it's about challenging the norms of what cybersecurity and like information security really is um, in an environment. And so I kind of took that as a challenge. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like this is cutting edge. Like, this is the next level. How can you do security and people still like you at the end of the day, <laughs> you know, like a lot of, a lot of security teams get, uh, might get a reputation or, or, you know, in certain environments of like, they're, they're the, the hard people to get by, you know, they, they, they put the roadblocks up, but this is like a partnership. This is different. So yeah, I thought it was a
0: unique challenge. Uh, how did you end up at Netflix? Did you? Yeah,
1: that's, a, that's a good question too. I mean, I, I had a, I had heard about the, a role or a couple of roles uh, at Netflix from people that I had actually worked with. So people that I had crossed with. Um, again, like coming down to kind of just like networking and knowing people. Um, and so I was referred, um, someone at Netflix referred me to this uh, position and said that I should apply for it. And honestly, like I wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to move all the way from Virginia at the time, Northern Virginia, DC area cross country to, to Silicon Valley, uh, but getting to hear about the opportunity and what you know they were trying to do and being at the cutting edge, I mean uh, it was a really just awesome opportunity and something that I was willing to, willing to jump for. So yeah, that's, that's how I ended up over at Netflix.
0: What's been the hardest part of, of, of this transition? Uh, you just mentioned, you just mentioned culture clash, obviously massive culture clash. But in, yeah. in in terms of the actual work, uh, yeah. are there some things that was a real real struggle?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, so like pandemic aside, um, I, I think there were uh, you know because like that <laughs> was, so that, that was there, a no there right? One. Like
0: you landed there, you landed there right in the middle of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, so I had about a couple of weeks, uh, maybe two to three weeks in the office, and so I had this vision of what things would be like. Um, And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and then it's like full on, you know, work from home. And so and I'm in a position as like a as like a TPM where my job is to create relationships with people on different teams to understand what they're doing so we can create opportunities to work together and come up with, you know, brand new things from our own like domain expertise. And so, you know, and I'm a people person. I'm the kind of person who will drop by your desk. You know, and and just say hi, and then that's how we create like a relationship.
0: You're going into it thinking that this is this has got to be an in person gig where you're you're sitting in a cubicle farm or wherever it is. Oh yeah, you're, you're building relationships, physical a uh, physical thing.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so that was like that was my mindset, and I kind of had a plan. Um, but then you know transitioning to working from home, I think I had to adapt in a lot of ways about how I think about under like meeting people, relationship building, staying in tune with what's going on, Um, and then also like understanding the needs of the workforce, right, and understanding like what are the challenges or what are the perceptions of information security or detection response and like, and how do we still maintain that partnership model, which is really what we're trying to do um, all across, like, I mean, all across information security within Netflix, right, like we, we, we lean into partnerships, we have different teams that are partners and embedded partners within different parts of the organization, so like our relationship is something that I think we value and so how do you take that and support that model and still you know do your job as a TPM so I think that was a that was definitely a big big challenge on top of the the culture changes and just just doing things differently from how I would have done them at other organizations where security is more of like that brick wall kind of like bouncer force to, to keep things safe.
0: So that's just just the mental the mental part of it is kind of the biggest adjustment.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think it takes like being open-minded to what, what security really means, right? And it's a change in perception of locking down things as much as you can so that when something changes slightly or it's an outlier, you know that that's something that's not normal in your environment. And, you know, shifting to this idea of, how can you still give people the freedom to do whatever their creative process is the way that works best for them, but still keep them safe, still give them, you know, the, the, the safety to kind of like do those different things. Um, but, you know, still have a way to observe things that are, that are happening that, that might be dangerous or might be a risk to the organization. And so you're kind of looking, you're kind of almost, um, shifting the direction you're looking a little bit. At, at what are your pointers or, or indicators. And and that takes a little bit of a mindset shift to say, hey, I'm used to looking at this, but now I got to look out of a different window and you know look over here and, and and see how I can keep people safe without getting in their way.
0: Has COVID made that a lot harder? I mean, like how are you guys managing this kind of in-person thing? Is it just a lot of virtual meetings, a lot of this kind of video face-to-face things? Or are you just kind of grinding through trying to figure it out? I mean, like everyone else, obviously
1: yeah yeah I would. Oh, oh yeah for sure like everyone else i mean there were a lot of growing pains with with shifting to um fully remote and i think even within like netflix's culture we were never a like remote first company right we were very strongly positioned out of la um the bay area as our two like you know main headquarters within the us and so we weren't really prepared for this shift to people working remote but I think we did a great job in doing so. A lot of virtual meetings, a lot of fatigue, you know. But we built up, uh, I would say we built up some workflows to kind of figure things out. And, you know, now we're really just also trying to be conscious of like having effective meetings, working asynchronously, you know, the same problems that, that other organizations are working on. And I think we're at a pretty good spot.
0: And you're lucky you're at Netflix, which is like one of the more well resourced security <laughs> programs in Silicon Valley, if not all of the country. I mean, it, it... You're absolutely yeah. spoiled. Just I, so you know, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's there's a there's a whole haves and a have nuts of Silicon Valley. We're in terms of which which segues into my next question. We started off talking about your 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 role in threat intelligence, and threat intelligence is one of those kind of new burgeoning spaces uh, that we're still not sold yet on what the real true value is, and even things like definition of threat intelligence is still up in the air. So I'm going to throw it yeah. to you this way. How do you define term threat intelligence
1: ah so so yeah i mean I, i think a lot of commonly a lot of organizations or people in security might talk about threat intelligence um about understanding like what is a a risk to your organization right like what are the what are the threats to your organization but i think like there's a lack of emphasis on that like your organization piece right like What may work in a threat intel program for one organization or one company may not work for another one because the threats and the risks are different, right? It's really about understanding what is it that you have to offer that, you know, a malicious actor might want or, you know, a financially motivated actor might want. And how do you go about, um, you know, protecting that? But at the same time, it's also understanding the scenarios, like the risk scenarios for your organization. Like what is the worst thing that can happen? um and understanding like what would you do you know doing some like their modeling about what would you do if you know you were the source of a supply chain compromise right like we see these other things that happen in the industry you know solar was very recent it's very top of mind i think for a lot of people right and so you know one one aspect of threat intel is taking that and, and looking at it from the perspective of like oh how does that impact me but you know another level of threat intel is like how does that how would we operate if that was us, right? Like putting yourself in those other shoes, like creating those scenarios about thinking like, what are my real vectors and what are the impact to the other organizations I work with my, you know, in some cases, bottom line, like, how do you, how do you continue to operate in a, in a sustainable way? Like that it's, it's, it's layered, you know, and there's different levels. There's a strategic level. There's like an operational level. Like there's so many different nuanced things about threat Intel. And you also have to be careful not to, out more than you can chew because threat intel can be a big program. It's a it's a huge charter in and of itself of of understanding what your risks are and coming up with ways to identify those and prepare for those.
0: And how much of that is dependent on third parties and data feeds and not just IOC feeds, like, but just the work of third parties. You're, I feel like threat intel programs are de- are so heavily dependent on the quality of the work of their partners. Is that fair?
1: Uh, I think in some, re- I think in some regards, right? Like I- I've definitely seen threat intel programs where it's just, you know, in just as many threat intel feeds as you can, you know, put them in a spot and then, try to, try to look for, you know, bad things, but I think it can be very overwhelming and not really actionable after a certain period of time where you're just getting inundated with like emails and, you know, notifications. Like, what do you, what do you do with that? Right. It's just so much data, so much information. And so I definitely think, you know, leaning into like a, a smaller amount of like higher quality data sources you can trust. And having a conversation with those vendors about what it is you really want like what what are what are you most concerned about right like what is your what is a threat to your organization and how can you get threat until specific to that right so like Netflix is a is a media technology company like like those are the threats that I'm more focused on right like I'm not necessarily as concerned about like hey what are the threats to industrial control system space right that's not that's not necessarily where we where we operate right like so so getting those targeted feeds is very helpful, um, but then also like doing some digging within your own organization and talking to your own team and your own, your own engineers to understand like, how do we do things here and what are some possible venues or areas of risk that we may not be looking at as closely? And then how do we take a look at what's happening in the, in this, in the cybersecurity space and apply that back at home to say, "Hey, this is a vector that maybe we didn't think about." And and how do we prepare ourselves if we do get this kind of, you know, attack or, or compromise? because because attacks are they're going to happen, right? There's no foolproof security program where you're, or you're never going to it.
0: Like they, there's, yeah. there's no way to avoid people clicking on stuff. And as much as your job is to Absolutely. empower and enable the business, people are going to make mistakes. User education just is, it is what it is. percent, I mean, Absolutely. So a, that's a reality. But here's the point. Here's the thing. We talk, you you mentioned context and you mentioned, you know, you're not interested in threats in the ICS world. So they, they, the data has to be contextual and it has to be relevant to me and the threats within my organization. I feel like. I feel like there's an overwhelming abundance of that type of information. And when you try to whittle it down to the more relevant things, you're now getting into this, are we using people or are we using tools? How does an organization whittle that data down, find the context when, you know, tools aren't available and there just just aren't enough people to to, to throw at it?
1: Yeah. I mean, it it is a great thought, right? My personal opinion is there's a lot of different directions you can go with, with threat intel. And I think you have to kind of start small and identify like, what is, what is most high leverage for your organization, right? Like, are you, are you at a point where you are just, you're trying to get some more clarity around the types of threats that are, that are targeting your organization? Are You still working to get buy buy in into like a threat intel program? Are you trying to show value of like threat intel in general? That's a that's a huge thing that a lot of organizations face, right? And so, you know, that's that's the difference between starting at, at a top level and, and working, you know, targeting like leadership and executives versus like you know being operational and, and trying to really see like, okay, these are the types of incidents we're having. Let me do some correlation to understand, oh, these are the threats. We're seeing, we're seeing the same type of targeting. Maybe this is a specific threat actor. Maybe these are the types of techniques, you know, TTPs we're seeing now. We can kind of protect ourselves against a grouping of things. And so I think it's good to ha- it's good to be on the same page with your organization about what the needs are from a threat intel space. And I think you have to start off with what's highest leverage, and then work your way up from there, and then expand. And I think tools and automation can help a lot um, if you don't have a big team. But I, I would always say like. You know, kind of regardless of the tools of the people, it's like start with what's highest leverage and then have your people focusing on that. Um, and then as you kind of build out your program more, then you can kind of think about what's next most valuable and and how you can use tools or people to uh,
0: invest there. So we as an industry have spent billions and billions of dollars on security threat. Like we mentioned, threat intel is now, you know, big, big, big business. But at the same time, every time you open the newspaper, there's a new big giant supply chain breach or some big nation state attack. And it just feels it feels to me as an outside observer that there's no balance between all these massive investments in security and the reality that the adversary always has the upper hand. The SolarWinds guy just said, if an advanced adversary wants to get into your organization, he's resourceful enough and it's, he's determined enough, he will get in. That's just kind of like an assumed breach reality and a a mentality we live with. Do you feel a sense of optimism that 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 defense is catching up, or are we just constantly in this chase stage? Yeah,
1: I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, well, I will say, you're the like, next
0: generation. You know, you're the next generation that's got to fix it. I mean, we <laughs> didn't do a good enough job of leaving stuff behind for you guys to take the baton. Uh, my generation, and I feel like I feel like I sense a lot of pessimism from your generation around security is that fair or do you feel like you guys feel like you got it
1: you know i mean it's hard to say i will say like supply chain compromise um it's 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 tough right it's tough to to deal with because it's It's an
0: impossible thing i mean yeah
1: it, it is it is but you know it's not it's not new and i think if we can take anything away from it it's that you know rather than trying to prevent every supply chain compromise and in, in, in your environment, it's it's an ability to like recover quickly. Right. And I think that's that's probably the most amount of control that we can have when it comes to those types of things. is no one, just knowing like who your suppliers are um, and then having a way to identify if those compromises happen. And then you know with that, it's like how quickly can you recover to you know, patch when when needed, or isolate you know systems that are potentially vulnerable, and, and make sure that things are segmented in a way that they're not. Uh, you you can decrease the risk or impact to what you really care about in your organization. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's not looking good, and especially lately, I think we've been we've just been seeing back to back like really bad like uh, vulnerabilities and, and
0: exploits. We haven't even mentioned the ransomware epidemic. where Where someone clicks on something and the entire organization is completely under the mercy of some ransomware gang out, hey, everyone's dealing with ransomware. It's not like, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, this is unique to organizations that don't know how to handle security. Yeah, every organization is struggling with ransomware. I know this for a fact. So it's like, it's like there's this constant bubble of badness that's just keep happening. And as much as we do segmentation and we do this and we put all these zero trust and we add all these components and subcomponents to our program, it still feels like we're in the same place.
1: Yeah, I mean. Life is life is a, a, a defender and like in the and, you know in the world we live in, right? It's like this is the this is a path we chose, right? It's like it's a it's a hard it can be a hard uphill battle to, to be on defense, uh, feeling like almost all the time, right? But, um, yeah, all all you all you can really do is is keep pushing forward, and I think, you know, as the as some of these things, happen and they change, uh, they I mean they happen every every so of, like ransomware is ransomware, right And I think understanding some of these things that are occurring, like what we can do is prepare and to your point, like what are the models that, that make the most sense to, to isolate our systems? Or can we recover if, if a system is impacted with ransomware, what's accessible? we talk about like you know zero trust and, and things like that. I mean all of those things help. Um, ultimately they help and all we can do is kind of just keep pushing forward.
0: I don't mean to bum you out, things are a lot better than it was 10 years ago. It's a lot better than it was five years ago. It's, it's getting a lot better than it was a year ago, but it's just oh, yeah. the, the reality of just how much attack surface is out there oh, yeah. and how easy it is to get to that attack surface and then how complexity and just the dramatic pace of migrating to the cloud and moving everything and have all these micro containers and containers upon subcontainers. Like, yeah. It just it, it just feels like it's impossible to defend. Yeah. And we're just kind of chasing, we're chasing our tails and we're creating industries and we're creating products and we're trying to hire more people. And it just feels like we're throwing resources at the problem and the yeah. problem is not yeah. being solved. So I'm going to end the podcast here with you. Talk me off the ledge that you guys got it and that <laughs> things are, you know, Things are, are are going in the right direction
1: yeah I mean I, I think with with the changing landscape the way it, it changes quickly and I mean it's always been a fast pace pace landscape in security but I, I do think it's pushing us to be more flexible in the way that we respond to these like stimuli of you know a new type of attack a new threat vector I really think and and at Netflix I think that's that's a big part of our model is how can we you know, respond quickly? How can we deal with things quickly? And it's not so much about being so rigid that things don't occur. It's like when they do occur, when these things that we don't expect do occur, how can we react and respond quickly um, to a point where we mitigated that risk, right? And so we start with our, our highest risk areas, um, you know, specifically some of the things we're working on too around like understanding what our, our biggest threats are, like how we're measuring our investments. That's something we're, we're doing a lot of to see like where are we investing? How are those investments paying off? Are we still seeing those same types of incidents occurring over the course of you know a year when we we made an investment in a buy in here? So we're investing in understanding that data and and being able to mold that data in different ways to give us those answers to drive those investment right. A lot of data driven decisions, but I think ultimately it's flexibility. Like that's where that's where our advantage is, and and being able to kind of respond quickly, adapt quickly, um, and deal with those stimuli as they happen is. Is probably the best way to position ourselves to deal with that changing threat landscape. So I'm optimistic. Still, I do think it's you know vectors change, but you know that's just that's just how it is. That's how we do it. We just got to be quick and and, uh, and flexible.
0: Good, good. Uh, when 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 life gets back in person, come back on the podcast. We can actually record something in person together instead of this. Oh, I love that virtual stuff. I'm just tired of it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you and <me laughs> Thank both. you very much, my <laughs> man. I
0: appreciate the time.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.